Hello and welcome to Off the Record. As my favorite Armor for Sleep song says, Jesse, it rained all day long today. That's how I'm starting us off. And, yeah, uh, we're very, very, very hashtag blessed for that one. <laughs> and now I'm back in Philadelphia, and you're in Brooklyn, and I was in Brooklyn today. You what, were hashtag what, blessed too. What part of Brooklyn was I in today, Jesse? Dumbo. That sums up all my thoughts. <laughs> That was good. That was very good. Thank you. Thank you. Forever working on my anti-Brooklyn humor. So I think I'm doing all right. Hi, everyone. Thank you for listening lately. You can check in on us at offtherecord.fm. You can leave us an iTunes review. It maybe doesn't help at all, but I have ego problems. So that'd be great. Thank you. Is that like seeing quantifiable numbers of people who actually like him to offset when he gets nasty emails from publicists? Yeah, I, uh, I've i now shot way ahead of Thomas Nassif on Twitter followers for our personal accounts. And uh, you mm. know what? I uh, I love it. He he listens to this podcast now. He he didn't listen. He wasn't listening to any podcast. And now, now Thomas is listening to podcasts. And he listened from ours from the beginning, which I told him he was a fool to do. But... He randomly now texts me after the train ride and is like, this is really funny. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, oh, I don't know, in episode 22. And I'm God, that guy's so tall. <laughs> he is so tall. But it's the best because you can find him at a show so easily. Yeah, he's so, he. but if he doesn't stand in the back, isn't he that rude asshole guy? He, I, I mean, I don't care. I'm just glad that I'm like, oh, cool. There's somebody I know here since, you know, I'm so fucking old. What if he, but I feel like, I think, I would bet people confuse him for a bouncer. I mean, considering I get confused for kids' parents at shows, guarantee you. Wow, that's great. I've never yeah, the, thought you know, That happened that. at the, the, the uh, Broken Side show I went to. Well, I mean. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you know. You were even and, younger uh, back then. Yeah, I was even younger back then. I was in a full suit, though. You may definitely be con- be considered a father at this modern baseball show. I was about season. to say, I I was joking with Mike from Sobos last night. I was like, I can't wait to have somebody come up to me and think I'm a parent. The very, the very lovely woman who cuts my hair, um, her daughter, I've gotten her daughter, who is, I think, 16, very much into knuckle puck and modern baseball. And so they're going to go to the show on Friday. And I very much want... Now suddenly, her her the haircut mom lady to just walk into you, not knowing you or anything, and just be like, "Who's your kid?" That won't happen. But you you could say me, and then it'd be a great conversation. I I mean, Oof. rough rough man. Rough. I know, I know. You're old. Um, we we we've got two questions today, and then we'll get into uh, some topics where Jesse and I uh, curse at each other. But I don't think there's gonna be too much cursing at each other in this one. Really? No, I think we're on the same page. Is this even, this is this even the show? Evening out for last week. Yeah. Um, so the first question is, where do you guys stance on bands creating their own record label and or production company? And at what point in their career should they consider making this kind of decision? Also a big fan of the show. Keep it up. We sure will. Well, thank you. It rarely works, I think, is the real answer. I think. I think most people... Most bands who want to start their own record labels model themselves off of bands that do it successfully. I really can't even think of anyone that does it successfully. Who are some? Well, bands? there's I, tons of well, bands who do it successfully well, in our, outside in the, the scene. In the re, in the scene, though, like 
I think Enter Shikari have their own label, and that does well. Uh, oh, uh, Epitaph Records, Dis- Discord Records. I well, mean, that doesn't count. It does count. That happened. That just because you don't I wasn't judge a, I wasn't people, even alive. You, you, dude, that makes two of us. <laughs> the person who asked this question wasn't even a thought when yes. when Brett Garowitz started Epitaph. In fact, they're you know they could be so young that even their parents were alive because their parents could be my age. <laughs> I mean, like, this person probably doesn't even know who Brett Garowitz is. Well, they should rectify that. Okay, go go ahead with your thing. Because I thought we were going to agree about everything, and now I have to, like, take you to task. So this is my thing. Um, and I'm eventually going to write about this on the site next year. Is that... Actually, I should write that down. Hmm. Anyway, I'll write it down when you're talking. I, to me, I think it's great. Uh, we talked about this last week, even, maybe. I don't know. I, talk, I was talking about this with someone... So much of what's been great about, you know, having Knuckle Puck do stuff with bad timing is that we've been able to control the whole situation. I call it controlling the full stack of everything you have going on. And if that's what you want to do, that's fantastic. To me, the benefit of starting your own record label is that you know how you're making CDs. You know exactly what it costs. You know exactly what the budget is. Same thing for vinyl. In, in my book, as I call it, it's DIY being decide it yourself, not do it yourself. Right. And with that corny phrase aside... <laughs> that's great. That's fucking genius, man. That's pretty good. Uh, I don't know. So to keep it, I guess, short, to me, having your own record label or production company, I think is a smart thing because it's nice to be able to say... My record, uh, my my band, my band X is releasing a record on this record label. And some, a lot of people may know that you have your own record label. Some people may think you're actually signed. There's this really great band called Grandview that I want to sign to Bad Timing Records. Hey guys, reply, reply to my emails. That That's okay. They're in school. Uh, that they have their own record label called Six Pine Records. And they've done a really good job of creating vinyl, doing really, really great work with the packaging, the variants, and, and all that stuff. Um, and it's been, a, it's been a success for them. I think it's only helped them. But at the same time, it's so easy to mess all of that up. So th- my only thing about this, and it's something that I'll just continue to say forever, is like, if you have questions, please ask someone. Even if, even if you think you're being annoying, like, hell, ask this, this show. Like, if you're going to do it, you just don't want to be that band that creates your own record label and then launches a vinyl pre-order six months before the vinyl comes, and then you've burned out any of the minimal fans that are going to like you, you know? And to me, that's the thing. I think it's great. I think it's great to control the full stack when you're a young band, but just make make sure you're doing things right. And if you're confused or if you don't know what you're doing, just ask. Okay, I think all that's fair. The record deals started becoming imminent for Man Overboard, I kind of turned to them. I said, we need to have our own record label. And so now they have Lost Tape Collective. And the whole idea of that was not to release our big full lengths on that label. It was that we needed an outlet where every once in a while we could get some funding, some creative control, some whatever, to make sure that we had a place to take smaller releases and be able to get some additional funding from. And we wanted that freedom because the band made a huge amount of output. So, for example, when they put out a live record, when they put out a single or this past EP, they're able to do it on their own label and not have to pay and have be in the big distribution thing of Rise Records. I think it's great for that. It's a great supplement. And then as well, when you're a small band, 
I've been actually toying with a thing that I don't even know that you always need a label. Um, when you're, like, why even go through the name? Like, I looked the other day, and, like, one of my friends was, like, putting out his record on, like, you know, his street's name, records, whatever. And you're just like, dude, why bother? Just put out the fucking music. Why do you even need to bother with, like, this, like... Because I think there's, like, this thing of, like, we're starting to get into this era of, like, where you just look so ridiculous when you're a tiny band and you're writing official. It's like, dude, no one's imitating you. Like, here's my record label. Dude, that's you. Just put out your music, do it yourself, and, you know, you're not an unsigned band. Don't call yourself that. You're just doing it yourself. And then when somebody comes along, sign a contract where you can have artistic freedom you can put out an acoustic song if you want on a 7-inch and make a few extra thousand dollars than if the label would have put it out. And yes, Zach has some great points about making some mistakes, but learning how to do that and be self-sufficient, I think, is a big part of also being a band that is sustainable over the years, is that for now, it really helps to have a big label with some distribution, at least in this genre, to do that. Now, what's funny is, is there's some genres where that's really eroding really fast. And um, you're starting to see some DIY artists who can do some massive numbers without any help at all. And uh, I think that's the thing is you can, it's never too early to get started on that. In fact, I think you should, but I think there's also a balance of knowing where, what the place is for that, that maybe you, I think at least if you're in the genre that most people listen to this podcast in, you're probably not going to want to go it all your own because our scene hasn't evolved past that point where it's easy to become the biggest band on your own label. But, you know, I mean, but at the same time, Real Friends got really, really far without being on a label aside from their own at first. Yeah, I think Real Friends is a great, uh, you know, Real Friends record label, and this is like lame to say, but Real Friends record label was like their fans. Like, I, I don't know how to say it differently than that, but like, Real Friends is a true example of a post-MySpace MySpace kind of band where it truly, so much of it started on the internet. Like they, they, were, heavily, they were heavily touring, but before they got a booking agent, they, weren't, they couldn't do much beyond their own shitty Midwest tours, which is something that we recommend anyone do. You know, you have to tour in a terrible way sometimes, you know, but so much of what got Real Friends popular was just Instead of being, how can we make a cool record label? They were like, well, how can we be better on the internet? And uh, I, th- I think we've seen that it works, all, all bias aside, right? I think that's the funny thing is, is, like, I think some of your original statement was a little neglectful of that side of it. But uh, I think we can agree that there's definitely a place for it, but it's finding what that place is. I don't think uh, it's an absolute thing that, yes, you should start your thing right away, but... You know, it sure is great for when you're a band with a high creative output. Yeah, and one thing I I think what you were saying about Lost Tape and Man Overboard, though, is also like, this is the thing. There are plenty of options. You could do it on your own. You could sign to another label. You could make your own label. You could do the Real Friends route. But like, like the, you could license your yeah. record label's releases to another label as like two of the records I'm producing are doing coming up. Right, and so these are all options. I do one thing, though, before we move on that I really like. I really love what Man Overboard's been able to do with Lost Tape and with Rise is that Lost Tape has continued to be its own entity and, dare I say, brand, and they continue to pump things through it, 
whether that's live releases, whether that's having their logo on the back of Rise releases or doing an off EP on it or making cassettes for a band like Knuckle Puck. And I, I do like that because I think it lets a band be more involved in other music that kids love. And that's not just the band itself. And and I like that. It's it's definitely not a situation everyone can pull off. Justin and the band has done a really good job over the past few years with it, but I I think there's I think that just shows that that's just proof to say that there's a lot of options that can make you successful. Well put. So the next question is I'm a new listener and I've loved everything so far. I've been going back through all the old episodes and everything. Thank you. Anyway, regarding the name of your, the name your own price tool on Bandcamp, obviously there are many bit benefits to giving away your music. We recently started using it with our EP, and I've been collecting emails at a much faster rate. Obviously, we are currently in the studio writing and recording a full length. I know the advice has been against this, but it's something we felt we had to do. I am having some personal debates as to whether we should give the digital version away for free, $5 or $7 or whatever. And the only reason I'm struggling with this decision is that the money we are putting into it. Sure, the time and the heart that we put into writing is important, but it really comes down to trying to recoup the money. In your opinion, what should a band of our size, local limited touring, 1,500 likes, ooh, we're going to get to that in a second, um, what should we do? Just like the question before, it really works differently for so many bands, I think. And just talking from my own experience, my own personal beliefs, even beyond my own experience, um, I do think people, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with having someone pay for your music on Bandcamp. If, if, you want, if you're a band that wants to try name your own price stuff, what I would suggest is, let's say you have a record, or this band that asks you a question has a new EP. So let's say they have a new EP and it's a six song EP. I don't think you should have to name your own price on that. Maybe you should have the starting price at $3 instead of $6, right? But so let's just say you're selling your name your own EP for $4 on Bandcamp. I think you should do that. But I don't think it would hurt in, let's say, two months after the release to put up two acoustic songs from that EP and make that name your own price because that gets new people to check out those acoustic songs it gets goodwill from people that bought the EP beforehand to check out these new acoustic songs and to keep your name out there and to get new emails. To me, that tool on Bandcamp is, it should be a feature. It should be something that you use to help you rather than say, eh, we don't need money, we just need email addresses or we just need fresh ears. I like it a lot. I also like people paying for music on Bandcamp. So I think it's an experiment. Sometimes you may, for one month, you may want to try to have your EP at $7. The next month, you might want to have it at 4 Every once in a while with Knuckle Puck's EPs, I fuck around with the price and just, just to see what happens, you know? Sometimes it makes a difference. Sometimes no one knows um, or no one notices. But I like the idea of using it as, um, using Name Your Own Price as, hey, guys, thanks for supporting our release. Here's a new one. And uh, you guys can you guys can get it for free or give us some donations. Uh, so I disagree to an extent. Um, so one, let's also just clarify something. You can always have name your price on whether it's free is the starting point or a hundred dollars a starting point or one dollars a starting point. I would always leave name your own price on Bandcamp no matter what because it enables your fans to give you a tip jar. I kind of made the point about this that there's been times that I've really enjoyed a band 
stuff. And even if they have their record as $9, I've sometimes given them twice that money because I enjoyed their record so much. And I just want to say, thanks for being you, guy. Here you go. So always have Name Your Own Price on no matter what you do. But when you're a small band, and we're going to call 1,500 likes, and we're about to go down that pike in like one second... I think there's a thing when you're a smaller band that your music should always be free until you cross a level of enthusiasm because you want to put as little friction between getting new fans and not. And you should also be making the small investment. to Like when I see bands say, we have two more likes before we run out of our band camp for the month, you should be putting that money in and getting as many people to download that for free as you possibly can. But... Let's call it before, and then we're going to abolish this term in like two minutes. If you're under five to 10,000 likes on Facebook, I think your music should always be free. Um, because you clearly haven't caught on and you need all the help you can get. And I know you need funding too, and music is valuable, and Taylor Swift's an asshole, etc., etc. <laughs> we're funny today. Uh, I'm, we're I'm having a good funny. day. I'm always funny. I don't um, know about that, man, but I, I think we can say we're having a good day. I mean, it's because we're recording later. Yeah, I'm it's because and to we're, be not even, we're not even drunk, but we're having a I good know, time. I know. I haven't had a drink in weeks. He's he's edge now. Oh, man. Um. Anyway. Uh, okay. I was going to make some more edge jokes, but you should go on. You want to let your music spread as much as you can. That investment... The idea that you're not investing in getting fans who want your music for free when so many people, even when they're giving it away for free, can't even get people to download it is so ridiculous. Just keep letting it go for free. And to be honest, this is a lot of what my book says and is about is about that with Man Overboard. A lot of how we did it is we gave it away for free. And then eventually so many people liked it. We had a record label, Panic Records, come up to us and say, hey, how about we take that free EP and tack a few songs onto it and make it an LP, and that became Before We Met. Can I interject? Uh-huh. Right. Just getting back to that first question real quick. If you want to start your own record label, don't. Just sign to Panic Records. They'll always pay you on time. <laughs> You're the worst. <laughs> that was sarcasm. <laughs> um, so put it out there for free. If your fan base builds up, and people like it enough, you'll be able to charge for it in a few months or a year. You know, literally the same. So those there was probably ten thousand between uh, downloads and blank CDs that we gave out with the Man Overboard hung up on nothing that were free before we ever charged for any of them. And now the band's been able to charge for it, press it on vinyl, sell thousands of copies, streams, and all that. Because just because it's free for a little while doesn't mean it's always free. And if you want to hear 720 pages about that, buy my book. <laughs> Sponsored by Jesse Cannon this week. <laughs> um, I'm with you, though. I, I also do, I do like the, I am a sucker for like, hey, here's just two acoustic songs we did. You know, if they're good quality, like, here, download these. But I, I do, I think your model's smart. I, I think the other thing is, too, is those two acoustic songs, that's a great way to keep people reminded that you exist. It's a constant flood of free music. That's another great ingredient to that tool. So, we just made some hints about what we're going to talk about. That's what we call a, uh, a lead-up. Mm, a teaser. I, I, I like that one. Um, early on in our podcast existence, one of the first topics that seemed to really resonate with you guys is when Zach and I said, you guys are idiots if you're trying to get Facebook likes still. 
in 2014. And it seemed like a lot of people were like, whoa, we should actually listen to these guys. And we're like, yeah, we know. So we have another thing to say. I don't want to discuss how many likes your Facebook band has anymore. It's obsolete. It's done. It's over. Nish, nish, kabosh, done. So what do we measure a band's fan base by? And so I'm going to get old school here. And back in the day... MySpace. No? Yeah, yeah. It's like, I feel like back in the day, it used to be like, well, that man overboard song, Love Your Friends Die Laughing, has a million plays on it. And as you, when we were discussing this just now, and I only just kind of came up with this this weekend because I was like, hey, I'm asking this question and I wanted to hash it out with you. But then like, I was like, you know what? I got to figure out what this was. And plus I was really bored this weekend. I was locked in a basement, literally. More about that some other time. I think Spotify plays are what we should start using as the measurement. One, if you're trying to get Facebook likes, as we discussed in a previous episode, you're basically falling into Facebook's business model where they're getting you to get likes and then they're going to charge you to talk to your fans. And you're a sucker. If you do that, you're a sucker. The second thing is, oh, we, and the second thing is we all know that bands can buy Facebook likes like there's no tomorrow. Spotify plays are a little harder to fake these days. From what I've heard, they have some pretty serious algorithms to make sure people don't go high up the charts and stuff like that, um, that are just putting bots on plays. So I'm now saying the thing I trust, and I'm not saying it's unassailable, is I trust Spotify likes. I know not every band, like me particularly, who listens to nerdy IDM dance music, that's not where most of the plays come from. Um, SoundCloud's a much more popular place for a lot of the plays to go. But I think that's another thing is you can kind of pick one platform and brag about a net, a metric if you're a band. And we'll get a little more into this. But I'm saying I think Spotify plays is what we should be discussing, not how many Facebook likes you have. Yeah. Um, to me, it's just, as we talked about a while ago, it's just like Facebook is becoming more and more ineffective and it can... It's just not worth it to me right now. You know, I, I as as I retool, even for me, as I re- retool a lot of the a lot of the properties act stuff for next year, I was having a I was having a conversation with my buddy Connor and he's gonna be doing a little more quote unquote community stuff, which really just means harassing the defend pop punk group for me. <laughs> hey, valuable. And uh, now that we've let anyone in there, <laughs> um, and so, you know, we were, but we were talking about Facebook in general, like how should, should Connor be posting things on the Properties Act Facebook, like trying to get people involved to our whatever, 20,000 likes. And I was just like, it's just not worth your hassle right now, you know, because if 20,000 people like Properties Act, only 10% of people are going to see his post if it's not shared. And, you know, it's probably not going to be shared. And to me, I, I don't, I don't think it's worth it. I think uh, in the like industry side of things, me being able to say knuckle puck have however many likes to a potential tour offer. That's great, I guess, but it shouldn't, it shouldn't be based off of that. To me, it's like, and look, this is not, not something that would ever happen, but it's like, you really want to know how many like people like a band? Are they selling merch or, you know, are there, you know, even like seeing how many people favorite or retweet a tweet by a band is a better, to me is a better 
is a better you know foresight of if people are really active with how a band is moving right now. Well, that's that's also enthusiasm. We all know that's what really matters. Yeah, it's, it's about enthusiasm. Great. Uh, I liked. I don't know. I, I liked a random band in 2006, and I still like them today because I don't see their I don't see them post on Facebook because only 10% of the people that like them do. You know what? Every person I follow on Twitter, I see their tweets, and if I don't like their tweets, I'm going to unfollow them. And so I, I if like if we're talking about models that we currently have that people do count likes or follows from, Twitter to me is way more important. But beyond that. I love that. But you can get fake Twitter followers. You can, but too. I think that's and then, pretty like, There's other things too of like, you know, you have one cute member who hangs out with like some internet celebrity and then all of a sudden they have 10,000 followers because Jake, the, you know, singer hangs out with Cody the cutie from YouTube and then they take selfies together and then... All of a You're sudden, a there's like dad. all this fake metrics. What's that? You're using dad talk right now. Oh, whatever. I, I'm just saying. I don't. You, um, you, I just. I feel. Uh, I, I feel like that's an outlier, right? Like. I, you know what's funny? That's not an outlier in my world. Okay. I I work with bands that are like. You that. know a lot of YouTube stars. I, that really is not an outlier in my world. Okay. You're much more in that pop punk world. I'm kind of saying this as an overall music business thing. That that really is the thing. Is I really do work with like a lot of polished alternative bands. That, like, yeah, they really do hang out with, like, some YouTube star. And then they all of a sudden have 10,000 Twitter followers because Kasima, the makeup girl, took a selfie with them after her episode. That's a real thing. But you can't fake the enthusiasm of a song that has a million plays on Spotify. Yeah, yeah, and so that's where I wanted to eventually get back to. I love the Spotify thing, like... To me, that's really smart. My only con, and it's not really a concern because it's the same as anything else. Is like I clearly don't use Spotify as we've talked to at nauseum, and I think eventually Spotify won't be what we all use. But for now, like it is such a better indicator, and to me, it shouldn't necessarily mean that a band should be discounted if they don't have a lot of Spotify stuff. But if you see a band that has only been around really for a year and a half, and their top songs have hundreds and hundreds of thousands of streams let's just say as an example like that's awesome i love it i think like i think some people were bummed when spotify started publishing that information but it's really interesting to me sometimes i'll just pop in and, and see what the plays are for songs of bands i don't even care you know how people like you know how people get in like wikipedia wormholes if they just keep clicking and clicking to see like articles i do that with spotify sometimes where it's just like good nerd you know what so, oh my god tell me you don't do that man you know, I just did it for the first time this weekend. And it felt, you lost some time in your life and you didn't even know about it. It just went. It did just go. And, I, you know, I, I, and like you, I don't use Spotify. I use RDO. And I even figured out the equation of, I looked how many RDO plays and I tried to figure out uh, times their RDO plays by five. And that's about how many times they have on Spotify. Yeah. So I like about I like the idea. I like Spotify a lot. I like streaming services a lot rather as an indicator. You know, we can't tell unless you have a sound scan how many people are buying your music and that's getting outdated as it is. And so I really like the idea of if I'm a booking agent, if I'm a manager, if I'm anyone that picks bands to do things like I, don't, I highly doubt that any of them pop onto Spotify and, and click, let's see how many streams modern baseball have on Spotify, you know? But I, I think that's a really great idea because it, it clearly, 
it clearly shows who's excited about your music. Is the most popular song a song that just came out on an album six months ago? Great. That's great. That means they should be supporting my other band on tour in the fall because clearly people are excited about what's going on for them right now. Uh, you know, to see, it'd be nice to see a song by, let's say, Say Anything or Taking Back Sunday, an older band. But, like, if any of their newer songs can rival any of their old classics, that's good. That means people are excited about their new music. It's a really interesting tool, even just for casual fans, to be like, oh, this must be doing well, or this is doing poorly. I like, I like it a lot when you brought it up. Yeah, and you know what? I think it's just, like, also, like, and... In- we're not saying this isn't flawed, but like, I just think this is now the easy way to say a metric. And you know, the other thing is too, is like, I would love if we could say, Oh, well they have a YouTube video with one of my things. But the other thing about a YouTube video is like, well, then they also have, you know, that video had a great direction. And so they got this. I think this shows a genuine love for their music that like a Twitter follower thing and a Facebook follower thing can't really show as well and um it just seems like this is i'm not saying it's not flawed but it seems like it's the best we got right now um and now there's other things too is that like there's next big sound allows us to do some serious uh comparisons as well and look at different things and compare how big your band is compared to that band across a whole lot of platforms and stuff like that if you really want to get nerdy. But I just feel like, you know, we need a quick number. It's easy to say, hey, that band has 100,000 plays on this. This band only has 10,000 plays. And that's really what we're looking for is just some number where we can casually say this is at what point they are in their fan base. So... In that case, I would also say that if you're a young band and you're especially not signed and you're trying to impress people and you think these people are going to be listening to us, you should start pointing at Spotify a little bit more than your iTunes, which you should have been doing anyway. Yeah, I I, I would love, like like you just brought up Next Big Sound as something that we can check on bands for. It'd be cool if someone could put together some sort of algorithm of like, this is how many, uh, like that anyone could see, right? Go to www stream count per week whatever right like just to see like this is how many streams uh modern baseball's top three songs have on spotify and you you know that next big sound used to have that public and then they stopped once they got popular oh that's interesting and just be great it would just be great to have because i would man i would use that all the time Yeah, I think you missed out on this, but like, you know, like back when I was managing Man Overboard Transit, I used to have on my desktop every morning, it would open up uh, a bunch of bands that we were a little bit behind, and then Man Overboard and Transit's metrics, and I'd always just try to make our metrics go above theirs. Yeah, oh God, I would love that, man, I would just... Well, I think you can pay for that, so you can do it since you're a professional, but for the average person... Not so much, but yeah, you can you can uh, pay for Next Big Sound super crazy. And add that, Next Big Sound is not the only analytic deck. I bet you one of these ones that's either coming out or do exist. I have a list of a couple of them in the book, too, that like totally allow you to do something like that. It's just cool. I, I think it's fun for fans, too. Like, you know, there are people that are not 
super duper nerds that like seeing how many albums of an album sell first week you know like it it fits into that i think i'm even looking at next week sound right now i haven't been in quite a while because i don't really care that much they really have an amazing amount of free stuff i should not be uh dissing them it's even really interesting you can look at some certain songs they'll like have up a comparison like right then and there of like soundcloud and stuff like that but Anyway, we wanted to encourage you as a community to start using our metric because, you know, we think we're right. Yeah, and regardless, it just feels more real than Facebook. So One of the things people seem to ask me about as a vinyl nerd type of guy is um, this thing we have linked in the uh, show notes, which is the DRC desktop record cutter, a future for vinyl. So what this is, is it's a vinyl cutter that you can hook up and you can print your own vinyl. So I'm sure a lot of people are going, ooh, ah, and getting very excited because a lot of people have been doing it on my Facebook. Sadly, um, one, these things have been around for a while. There's these things called dub plates, um, which is basically like a single cut of vinyl. It was very popular, especially like when turntablism was in fashion and all those like record cutting guys would do it. They would get like a one-off cut of vinyl so they could scratch it. This is pre-Serato and Scratch and all that that software that would allow you to do this. So I basically wanted to say about this is, yes, this is part of the future is that you will be able to print your own vinyl. My thing is, is why would you want to? This vinyl is going to come from a compromised digital source and part of why you want vinyl. And one of the things, um, if you want to really go down the rabbit hole of this is I wrote an article for Property of Zach, I think about this time last year, on the million ways vinyl can go wrong when it's being pressed. There's just the thing of that. If you're going to kind of 3D print vinyl because you want to hear how it sounds on vinyl and everything, you're not actually getting all the good attributes of vinyl. With the good attributes of vinyl are is having a very original, high-quality source transferred by an expert who does certain tunings and cutting techniques to get that good sounding record to work on vinyl not just hitting play on a inferior format file like an aac and then burning that down to a 3d printed thing and then you have that and we also all know that you really just want the art is that story the one the, the one that you wrote where we ended up on the front page of reddit or was that different that was StubHub. Ah, that was so great. That was the biggest yeah. ego boost of all days, Jesse. That was a, that was a big ego. So boost. many that people were so pissed off at you, but you know what? I was like, I don't care if they're mad at him. Look at all this traffic I'm getting. <laughs> Look at all this money I'm giving Spin Media that I'll never see. You know, it was it was, it was, a, it was a good ego boost. Yeah. You know, it's one of those ones I you know I was single. I'd use it as pickup lines like, "Hey, ladies, you know, I was on the front page of Reddit." By the way, shit. <laughs> wow great idea anyone yeah, if you guys just yeah. want to lie just yeah, say yeah. just say you're jesse i don't know it, if it, your name is not jesse that may not work for you but i mean i mean maybe in the future we change this podcast into like one of those things where i wear the big hat like that mystery guy i give dating advice like that who's that what guy is oh, this zach oh my god oh my god all right we're not going down this road i'll send you a link okay uh, I want to cut vinyl, Jesse. Why do you got to be such a downer? Really? So you would 3D print vinyl 
from of your favorite records just to listen to it in vinyl, even though it didn't sound better. No, but like Thomas just bought. <laughs> no, but Thomas Thomas kickstarted a three D printer, so I may just try it on that. I don't know. Well, I think three D printing is really cool, but this just doesn't do anything aside from put it on inferior format. Yeah, no, I would do this for that Armor for Sleep record that Equal Vision won't let my label license. Uh, but why? You're going to listen to it, and it's going to sound worse. Yeah, okay. God, I hate when you're right. Yeah, it sounds like so often, and I just make everybody's day bad. I got yelled at so bad on the Facebook comments when I did this today. That you you made you made someone feel bad about being right? They, they, they told me I crushed their dreams, actually. And then I told them that Falcor dies in their varning story and Simba, and they said those... Not true. It was uh, Mufasa and Falcor comes back at the end. I said, see, you're lying to yourself. Wow. <laughs> you should leave the house more often. You're becoming a mean dad. <laughs> All right. All right. So, so, so there's really, and you know, if you want to understand this, uh, Zach will link you his article so you can get you some more traffic in the show notes. But like, Keep basically the essence of this is... The the essence is is if you print out your vinyl, you're making an inferior copy because you don't have a superior copy. The reason vinyl is good is they have a superior master that's been through less wear and tear in order to give you a high quality version of this. And um, there's a lot of other nuances in that article that you should check out mm. if this type of thing floats your boat. Okay. Well, this next topic begins with rebellion. <laughs> that was really good. Thank you. I, I've, I've been working on that for two minutes, and I, I think it was okay. Um, so in the show notes, there will be a link um, to a noisy article where they had Max Bemis rank his uh, rank the Say Anything records in order, and then they interviewed him. So it wasn't just like he spelled out their five records and put one through five on them. Uh, the noisy interviewer spoke spoke to him actually in depth about each record and why, why what he feels about the record now and why they're in the order they're in. Um, so I loved reading this. This is the kind of stuff I love. Um, it was a great read to me. Like, yeah, I would I would obviously understand if you're a fan, right? And it would bum you out that your favorite record was ranked last by Max, right? Like, I could see that, but I don't know. To me, to me, it's less about an artist saying, well, this is my least favorite record, so you should think it sucks. Like, you know, Newfound Glory does not acknowledge Coming Home. Coming Home's my favorite Newfound Glory record. Yeah, I, we, we, I didn't know that that was a thing. Yeah. Thing. Yeah, Coming Home's, like, some of my favorite Newfound Glory songs. Yeah, and... and sim- the one after that, that's, like, the worst record. The one Hoppus produced, that's, like, the worst record ever made. I'm not starting on this. <laughs> I forgot I insulted one of your uh, idols. I'm, I, you know, right, right under my uh, monitor right now. I have four Blink One Eighty Two bunnies. So, oh my god! I also have a tattoo on my arm. Nah. Uh, misfit shower curtain. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but similarly to that, new, to like coming home and newfound glory, my my favorite say anything record is their self titled album, and that was Max's fourth out of his fifth least out of fourth favorite say anything record and i knew that i knew it wasn't his favorite record of say anything but i'm not gonna feel bad about it. i love those songs so anyway it's interesting i i just find this kind of stuff interesting i really you know some artists refuse to say that their best album that is critically acclaimed is their worst is their uh is their favorite record max bemis said 
is a real boy is the band's first, best record you know um, and after his first record which is also like that that's kind of that's got to he's got to be in an interesting place in his head to acknowledge his best work was so long ago he did say his second best record was his most recent one yeah but i, I don't know i appreciate i do appreciate the artist that can just say hey i i clearly moved a moment in time, right? Because that's what that was. That was... Oh, yeah. Is a Real Boy was really one of the last... Not one of the last albums, but, you know, in in in, in the last 10 years, because it's now 10 years old, feels like one of the last stepping stones for the genre, in my mind. Like... I would go as far to say, I think Is a Real Boy is the best alternative record in the last 10 years. Yeah, it's... To me, it's not a punk record. It's in the alternative genre. It's like the same thing as Weezer. I, I saw this uh, I saw the show last week. I went to Irving Plaza and... I'm so jealous. And it ruled. Like, it. I don't know. The, those songs... I don't know. I got into Say Anything not late, but just when I was younger or older. Younger, but old. Like, obviously, the album had come out a long time ago. I think I got into Say Anything in, like, 2008, right? Um... And I remember like hearing, oh God, I remember this so well, and you can now call me like a rich white boy, but I was in, I was vacationing with my family over winter break in the Caribbean, and I was like exploring new music. Caribbean's not a very rich white boy vacation. Okay. Well, you know, I, I didn't even need to. I mean, there's be... other reasons you're a rich white boy, but that's not one. Okay. See that, mom? We're doing okay. And I remember like being on vacation and checking out new music, and I... I don't know. I just remember like um, Alive in the Glory of Love and Wow, I Can Get Sexual too. hearing those two songs and being like, this is incredibly invigorating. Like I was super excited hearing that music for the first time and then hearing it again and again and again. And to me, uh, you know, listening to those songs live just a week ago, it was still so much like that. And I think it's cool to get back to what I was saying that like artists who can admit to that, you know, because so many artists will shun that and hate that. You know, like, I don't think Taking Back Sunday love that Tell All Your Friends is everyone's favorite record, for instance. You know, um, I, think a lot, yes. I think a lot of artists struggle with that because artists want to feel like they're progressing as artists. And I totally, I'm good with that. You know, like, please, please progress as artists. But I, I, I don't know. I just find articles like these really interesting. What about you? I thought this was great. And, you know, I thought there was like an interesting thing I actually was talking to uh Jordan Baker about it. He just saw Wagwagon. Everybody got to see all these cool shows this weekend while I was locked up uh, in a basement writing and stuff. Yeah, but, but you're uh, defending this weekend. I am defending hard this weekend. Um, Woo! Anyway, uh, and he saw Wagwagon. He was talking about how much they played of their new record and how stoked he was because he loves the new record. And, like, there's a, you know, this balance is so important as to who you are and, like, whether you shun your past or you hide it or you like almost make like your new output a separate thing and like how you balance this do you bum your audience out by playing all 12 songs off your new album then a few classics here and there and like what you do with this it's it's just it's such a tightrope to do you know i really liked that that he did this um even if I'm a weird one with his catalog, but Israel Boy is one of my favorite records of all time. I think we said this in the favorite one, and then my uh, least favorite Save Us the Day records, or I'm sorry, Say Anything records are really easy. They're, every other song he's ever done is the worst song ever. Um, but the other other song is good? Is that what you mean? I'm, 
No, I mean, like, I love Is a Real Boy. I think it's one of the most genius records of all time, and I don't like a single other song he's ever done. No, fair enough. Um, but that doesn't matter. What I think doesn't really matter. It is weird, though, when you get reflective like this in public, because then also, as this label feel kind of saying, like, oh, well, even this, you know, the band doesn't even like this record. Like, the second the band doesn't like the record, doesn't that really, like, delegitimize the catalog for a lot of people? Like, then people feel like they shouldn't even check it out when they're, like, going through the back catalog. Like, I feel like when you get into modern pop punk these days, like, is a real boy, is like one of those records you're like, just like tell all your friends, it's like, oh, you like pop punk. Well, part of your training process is you will now listen to this record, this record, this record, and this record. Right. Then, if you really love Is a Real Boy, you might make the misstep of going down those records. But it's almost like now that this exists, it's kind of like, oh, even he says don't listen to that record. <laughs> like, that puts you in a bad place with that person who shelled out $30,000 for you to record it. Hmm. What about the aspect of, you know, one day I would love to talk to you about, we should make a note. I would really love to have a conversation. And I feel like this could be an hour-long conversation on its own about, like... On the on the grand scheme of things, we when we say an artist, we think of, I don't know, like Picasso, right? Like if someone if someone is just talking about art in a grand sense, that like we don't think about some musician in a whole practicing. I think for the whole world, if you zoom out, like that's what an artist is. An artist has his, an artist has two hundred paintings. Over I think it. I think of the comedian Paulie Shore personally. Wait, is that the guy on Jersey Shore? No, no, it's, which is even the better that you don't get the joke. <laughs> Never it. mind. Wait, is, I thought that was a guy's name. That's on... DJ Pauly D. Oh. <laughs> Wait, I've been hearing people talk about this guy, and I there's thought it movie, was the... there's a movie about him on Netflix, right? Now. Oh, I thought I thought it was the guy on Jersey Shore the whole time. I thought he like revitalized his career or something. Wow, God, isn't it awesome? Just how pop culture is just lost on me it really is sometimes God. okay well sorry to that comedian for comparing him to the dude on jersey shore i feel like so many people in our world our friend group and even even normal people that listen to music now don't really think of musicians as artists as as an evolving being as an evolving love of art and their and their environment of art whether that's music or painting or creating graphic design like whatever right like art whatever kind of genre of art it is and to me there's nothing wrong with let's just use max bemis as an example because that's the article we're talking about him not necessarily trashing uh anarchy my dear which is what he listed as his least favorite album but saying to me i think that's the lesser of my work i think my i think my mona lisa is um is against is is a real boy right and to me that's different than saying i can't this is an abomination this is whatever i don't know i think one day i'd like to have a talk with you about and we can talk about it a little right now just about no, I think this is a great how, conversation. how we how we view art versus how art has traditionally be, been viewed and if if that is just going out the window and we don't have a place for that anymore because i don't have because yeah, i and, and you know what's funny is is um mike from somos and i were talking about this last night is like and then it's people like you, you fucking managers and you fucking booking agents, you fucking record label owners. Suits. You fucking suits. Episode title. <laughs> you guys keeping these bands on these touring cycles and saying, hey, 
you got to write a record in December. Whether your girlfriend broke up with you, whether you're falling in love, whether your grandma got a toe fungus or not, that's the time to be creative. Toe fungus? Whatever, man. That's your time to be creative, whether you like it or not, because that's the space between your touring and you getting me my fucking check. And that's your time to make your fucking art, and that's your only chance you get to make some fucking art while you have to hear all these shitty Christmas songs when you're trying to make your stupid fucking art, because then you got to get back on the road and sell some fucking t-shirts and get me some fucking checks. It's people like you doing this to them. We're going to have an explicit title on this episode, Jesse. <laughs> you know how upset my grandma's going to be? I'm so sorry. Your grandmother seems like, you know, I saw that picture you posted of her on Facebook. How sweet did she look? Was, she looks so sweet. I feel so bad. That I'm always hurting her ears with my bad mouth. I know. I, I had to interview her for a, for a video that my mother's company is doing. My grandma makes cookies. She has her own cookie, cookie company called Oh Mama's. You would love them. Oh, wow. I can't wait. The main ingredient's walnuts, and it would kill me. Oh, wow. She doesn't even love me that much, man. She tells me she does, but how could she? Anyway, we're going to have this conversation some other time because I think that's a great conversation. You did say some things, though, when we were talking about this topic, deciding if we were going to do it that I thought was really interesting, where I think, um, whereas I hate talking about, like, where does the media fall into those writers, those poor writers, but I think you said something really interesting that you should explain about that part of this. Okay, cool. Yeah, so... One thing that's constantly on my mind and I hope to one day write about it and talk about it some more is that we so often see, you know, at any band, I don't need to pick or choose a band because I think most people see it. Absolute Punk publishes a review on a band and it's a glowing review. That band is going to is going to is going to post about it. They're going to use it in their press release. They re- they really want you to know, their Twitter followers to know that Absolute Punk wrote a great review about them. Let's just say in an alternative universe, Absolute Punk publishes a review for that same band, and it's a really bad review. Let's say let's say Thomas gives a band a four-star review because he's a he's a scumbag. Oh, that fucking asshole. So tall. Let's say he gives a band a four-star review, that same band. And instead of saying, hey, Absolute Punk reviewed the record, they didn't like it so much, but, you know... We just want the conversation about our new music, our new art to keep going out there. Instead, that band will either not acknowledge it or they will just shit talk Thomas. They'll shit talk Absolute Punk. They may never want to work with Absolute Punk ever again because of that negative review. Even if the review is doesn't say this band's terrible or you should never listen to the band. It just may be a bad review. Maybe the reviewer doesn't like the album, obviously. And so... To me, where this gets interesting and what we were talking about in the pre-show was that we we see artists so often, you know, just shit talk the media at any chance they get. They, they'll say, Property Zach is a joke. I'm a joke. I'm TMZ. I am the TMZ of this scene, blah, 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 because I choose to cover the band. They love it when I post about their album pre-order and they can sell more records. But then they make fun of me and think they should get credit for making fun of me if I post something negative, even if it's not mean-spirited, just negative. And we so often see bands criticize media and then that same year, the next day, five years later, ten years later, being part of the media. You know, like we'll, we'll see writers... We'll see artists start writing columns or interviewing other artists or writing articles to help meet ends meet when they're off tour. You know, we see Jono from the Swellers 
write articles for Noisy or Wonder or Wondering Sound or The Runout because it's a good way for him to get a little money and he wants his voice to be heard. Yet, what if he was someone shit-talking the media a few years ago if his band got a bad review? And to me, that's it's a it's something that really frustrates me because I don't why do you get to have it both ways? Um, and I don't think Max Bemis is one that has necessarily like gone after uh, blogs or whatever. Actually, Max Bemis like very very openly loves Jason Tate and Absolute Punk and so on and so on. But I just I thought it was interesting that not only was an artist ranking his music, which is usually kind of like a faux pas, but he was also publishing it on a website and was and was speaking openly with a website. He was he was giving his own music reviews on a website, and we see so artist we see so often artists hating people who criticize their work. Yet Max was openly criticizing his work, and I thought that was great. But I don't think a lot of I I bet a lot of other people saw that and th- and thought oh, I could never rate my art or you know how how dare someone wanna. This is what I was really getting at. I could see bands saying. How dare you ask me to tell you which of my albums I think is the worst? You know. Yeah. So what I, I will say is this: is I think those are all you kind of said what I hoped you would say with all that. Is uh, the only thing I have to add is I, I think what was great about Max doing this is it's a great time for him to be self-reflective because a lot of other musicians could learn from his journey. And it was the same thing I felt when I listened to his episode on nothing. To write home about, yeah, that's it. That's how you how you say it. Um, is that like he's had a really interesting journey, and I think it was kind of funny. Is like you know you have Anarchy, my dear, this record where he's kind of trying to conjure the spirit, and it almost like faked it. And it's like that thing. Like I always hearken back to like Blink One Eighty Two of like you know that they couldn't write dog farts anymore for Seltile. They had to make the record they want, and like even like reading anthony green's big heroin spiel uh yesterday i i you know it was like one of those ones where you're like totally seems like a heroin act to me and then you're like wow didn't seem like a heroin act to me on one side it's like it's like okay i guess i sure hearing other artists journey eyes i think is really important in trying to learn some lessons but then from them, I think is really, really important. It's a lot of why I'm writing the book I'm writing right now. But like, <sighs> wow, it the the listification of everything I think is just the one thing that really it just cheapens it a little bit for, to me. Something makes me wish that it was just like more of like a bunch of paragraphs than it was just. Here's six records from Max Bemis ranked in their ways. It felt honest though reading it, right? Oh, it totally did. I'm just saying that's the one thing is maybe I've become a little internet allergic. Yeah, I get, to, I, I get to that. The numbers but and like, uh, that's just that's just who I've become. Yeah, I don't know. To me, the bottom line was I I clicked the link and I was almost more excited that it felt really refreshing instead of reading it and feeling that it was good. I, like even before I read it, I was like, this is great. Like it felt it felt like he was presented this idea and instead of being like god i'm not gonna do that he was open for it and he went for it and it spurred so much great conversation you know what it worked not only you know it was not only was it cool to read it spurred conversation which is ultimately good for his band and people buying his music or being like wow i haven't listened to 
that third album he listed in a while. Let me play that today. I love it so much, you know? Or, oh, God. Ugh. I'm just saying, like, don't, you know what I mean? Like, yes, it, no, it's, no. I, and I actually agree with you. So, I don't know. I we, This is like a reoccurring theme that continues to frustrate me is just that, like, and this is why I want to have this conversation. Maybe we should just do it the next show is like, like if you're gonna, if everyone's gonna be pissed off half the time or all the time, if everyone's gonna be pissed off all the time, then why why do you want us to talk about your band? On the other on the other end, I would love for everyone to just take a breath and and know that their art is gonna connect with some people and that it's not. But you, I just don't think everyone can keep having it both ways without burning themselves out and without becoming the ultimate cynic. And and like you were saying at when we started talking about this topic, like. I thought it was cool. You were saying like Max must be in a really certain place about his career to admit the first major work he did is his best, right? I, you know, as somebody who's a little older, it, it is a very hard thing to... I, I can say it personally. I would never be comfortable to know my best uh, work is behind me. And I, as a producer, I don't believe my best work is behind me because I think I did some of my best work recently. So I, have, I don't know... Yeah. I don't know how I could be comfortable with that. I have panic attacks 70 times a year. And I know this sounds ridiculous. You don't have to pity me. I pity myself. Like, I, when I sold Property of Zach to Buzz when I was 18, I thought I had peaked in life, you know? Well, and you know what's funny? The first panic attack I had in my life was the idea that I had peaked. Yeah, I, I had. So, so, so that, that's something we have in common. I don't, I don't really that. have that fear anymore. Oddly enough, like, what I love about what I've really like liked and also at the same time kind of hated about management is that it feels like you're hitting these goals. Like everything seems like a goal. You hit it, you move on to the next goal, which is Mm -hmm. more constant, right? Because with the website, it's always been doing my thing every day, content, 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 sold my website. Oh my God. I sold my website at 18. I'm peaked. Now I'm back to doing my thing, doing my thing and nothing like, you know, there's when you're working, when you're just like, doing a website and you do that same website stuff every day, it feels like more slow step by step rather than these giant goals that you notch off, right? It wasn't really until like the whole Fallout Boy breaking their reunion thing that I feel like, oh wow, I did something big today, you know? But with what I like about management and doing bad timing is that every release feels like a landmark with bad timing. And that's great. Um, there's this um, great it's one of my favorite documentaries it's uh, about John Cassava he's the director it's called A Constant Forge that PBS made it's one of the things that's said in it is like a, you're in this never ending struggle where you can always be accumulating these new challenges and the challenge never goes away like even if you make a perfect thing in somebody's eyes you can always make it more perfect in your eyes and you can always go on to another achievement and those are the great things to find to do in life where you're always going to be challenged whereas like you see so many of these miserable people because all they're doing is making a widget or they're just giving someone change a great existence is being able to always pass these little goals and have these little pieces of satisfaction but it's weird to think that you're never going to get that great one ever again. It's so weird to think. Uh, actually, you saying that makes like reminds me of 
Thursday and Jeff Rickley was very adamant in a happy way that he felt like the band's last album oh God how do you pronounce that no devolution is that right you know I think that is so yeah he felt he felt very strongly when when the band finished that album that they had accomplished the same thing that they had accomplished with full collapse it he felt like it was the right bookend like that all the prior albums didn't feel to him like the same work of artistic achievement and success that full collapse did and to him that was very like that was very rewarding and and it was a great way to end the chapter of thursday in his life and i thought that was rad personally like war all the time is my favorite thursday album but to jeff rickley like writing that album to him felt the same way that writing full collapse did to him and that album also like is a real boy changed our music scene and i i thought that was really cool um so yeah i i like i like that max had the balls to... I'd, I'd argue Focal Collapse is the one that changed it, not... Oh, oh no, time. sorry, that's what I meant. I, that's what I meant. Yeah. I meant that Focal Collapse changed everything. I just personally... War of the Times is my favorite Thursday album. Gotcha. Um, one of my favorite albums, actually. Um, but... I, I remember from the favorite album episode. Oh, yeah. God, we've been doing this for a while. Mm-hmm. I've gotten so old. <laughs> the six months that have passed have really made me feel old. Do you have any recommendations? Yeah, you know, I'm gonna recommend. Uh, I'm gonna recommend two albums that don't sound anything alike, but to me fit the same era, uh, and I love them both. And they're in my favorite albums are "War All the Time" by Thursday and um, and uh, "Based on a True Story" by The Starting Line. To me, I always want to play those two albums back to back, and I don't know why, but. I do. Uh, I really like that starting line. Record. Uh, I don't so really care for the Thursday record. Interesting. To me, that Thursday record is, there's very few albums. There's actually really only two albums to me. Actually, yeah. Only two albums to me that sort of make me feel I was born and raised in Manhattan. I was eight and very much remember 9-11. And to me, that Thursday album feels like an album about like 9-11 and that kind of feeling to me. Uh, and I like that album a lot, I think, because of that. Um, but, yeah, so those are my two recommendations. Uh, I'm going to go very off-topic on this podcast and recommend Modern Baseball because... Uh, <laughs> very off-topic. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's like, funny is like I've had moments with that record this year where I'm like, this is a great record. And if the record, like, I was like, oh, I'm going to be seeing them. I should put it on. I feel like I never, like, give it. And then I finally, like, gave it its plays this last week. And I was like... Ah, finally hit. Yeah. And now I'm like, wow. People I think... can't wait to see this band this week. Yeah, I'm obviously the most biased person in the world. But You're Gonna Miss It All to Me is just like... I, I think it's so good. I remember hearing sports and I, I was always like, this is good. I like I liked the band's first album. But I think the next album could really be something. And I remember we were... Uh, I went out to their Long Island show... Their first real summer, their first real tour, they they were finishing it up in Long Island at Asbury Park, and I met the band in Long Island, and it was right when they were getting the mixes and masters back for You're Gonna Miss It All, and it was like really late, we were driving down the turnpike back to Philly, and they played Your Graduation, the, the, the I guess, hit of the record, whatever, and I was just like, oh, this is it. And I remember playing the record as early as August of 2013 and being like, I don't know how this won't be my album of the ne year next year, even though I'm, I'm certainly biased. But there's my glowing recommendation also for You're Gonna Miss It All. <laughs>
Thank you to everyone for listening to Off The Record this week. Head to offtherecord.fm to check out show notes, to leave us any feedback. Jesse can be found at Twitter at Jesse Cannon. I'm at Z Zarillo, and our podcast is at Off The Record FM. We'll be back next week.